When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The former Philadelphia Philly played in the 93 World Series, but we're here today to talk some Cubs 98 baseball. Mickey Morandini, great to see you, first of all. And I got to just confess at, at, at the gate here, I hated the Doug Glanville for Mickey Morandini trade. I, I, Glanville was my, the first interview I ever got. I, just, you know, I was 23 years old. He was this super nice guy. I, I'm assuming you know Doug. I'm like, yeah. this, is, this is terrible. And then you came over here, and he went there, and I think it was a great trade for both teams and for both players. Would you, would you agree? I do agree. Um, yeah, Dougie's a great guy, first off. I, I, know, I knew Dougie. Got to know him really well because I played with him for a little bit because I went back to Philly in 2000. Right. Um, but, yeah, he was and, – and, you know, rarely do one-for-one one trades work out. But this one did. I mean, I played really well. He went to Philly and played really well. And, and it filled two needs because – Sandberg. Um, and he went to uh, Philly, and they needed a center fielder. So, like I said, it worked out for both teams. Yeah, you, you broke up there for one second. But let me just I, – I think what you were jumping into is you were brought to Chicago – uh, to replace Ryan Sandberg, who had retired and had come back. So, I mean, it wasn't 1984 MVP Ryan Sandberg, but that's a, a pretty big name to step into. It really was. And uh, I, uh, we actually have the same agent. Um, so I knew <laughs> Rhino a little bit. But uh, it was some big shoes to fill. And, and uh, fortunately enough for me, I came in and, and played really well in 98. And, um, you know, it was a great year. Obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, making the playoffs and, but they hadn't made the playoffs in a long time. So it was, it was a fun year to play in Chicago. What, what was your thoughts on the Cubs coming over? Because, I mean, they were awful in 97. They started the year 0-14. Um, you know, Sammy hadn't become, quote-unquote, Sammy. And Kerry Wood hadn't popped on the scene either. So, I mean, did you think you were coming to a club that was even going to play 500 baseball? Well, f- first off, I lived in Valparaiso, Indiana. That's where yeah. my wife's from. So – uh, if I had to get traded, coming to Chicago would have been my choice because I could live at home and drive back and forth into Wrigley and things. So the trade personally was good for me because I was excited to stay at home. And um, I always loved playing in Wrigley. I always hit well there. Um, but uh, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, we picked up Henry Rodriguez, Jeff Blauser, Rod Beck, um, Kevin Tappany, I think we picked up that year. So we picked up a lot of quality players, not superstars, but guys that knew how to play the game, knew how to win. And, um, you know, who knew what Sammy was going to do that year? He was obviously a very good player, but he exploded that year. And Gracie was Gracie, was Gracie you know. And um, so uh, 
I don't remember what we were picked. I want to say middle of the pack probably. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, we kind of clicked in May and kind of took off from there. And, um, you know, the fans, you know, you never have to worry about the fans in Chicago. <laughs> they always come out and support you. And it was, it was just a fun, fun year with a great group of guys. I was going to bring up the Valparaiso part. Uh, I didn't know that you had been living there beforehand, but I knew that year you did. So you were driving an hour plus back and forth to the park, you know, on, on home about games? an hour. But the times that I came back and forth, the, the traffic really wasn't bad. Because you normally played, you know, 120, 220 games. So you'd leave, right. the, you'd leave the place at 9. You kind of missed that rush hour traffic. And for me, it was nice because I could, you know, kind of be by myself and get prepare myself mentally for the game on the drive in and, you know, play a game. And then uh, it was fun going home because I knew I had the evening to myself with my family and could hang out and do normal things and love day games. I would have played every day uh, in, in Wrigley at a day game. I love day games. So that, that brings me back to Cubs time before that, where the thought was that playing day games wore the team down. That's, that was the excuse on the 69 club that those guys were tired because it was all day games. And it was a huge fight, by the way, back, you know, no lights at Wrigley before they got them in 88. But, but did you think it wore you down playing day games? Apparently, I'm thinking, it sounds like no. I didn't think so. And, and you get your share. I mean, we had our share of night games. And I think, right. I don't I remember how many we played, maybe 15, 20 night games, but you always played night games on the road. So it wasn't like you played 162 day games. You right. know, you probably played 60 to 65 day games at home and, you know, a certain number on the road. But, uh, you know, I, I liked it because I, I got home at a good hour. I, I could go to bed early. I could, you know, get my normal sleep. And, uh, you know, it, Usually when you play a night game, you don't go to bed till 1 in the morning because you're all wound up and, and you sleep in till noon. And I don't know if that's healthy for you either. So, uh, like I said, as long as you, um, you know, you're prepared properly, you ate well, you got your rest, day games were fine for me. Yeah. So when Sammy starts going and he, he hits 20 bombs in, in June and, and you're the two-hitter, so – I forget exactly how it all broke down, how much, how much he had three and how much he had four, but I remember him hitting three for the most part. Is that, am I accurate there? Yeah, normally, yeah. I think when he got on his roll, he hit third and Gracie hit fourth, and then Henry Rodriguez hit fifth. Um, but, yeah, that June that he had was nothing I'd ever seen before. I mean, 20 home runs in 30 days is just – it's silly, really. It's, it's, it's stupid home runs, really, but he just got on a roll and – I think I saw a stat that he had nine multi-homer games. I mean, that's, that's incredible. He had 20 homers in June. I hit 32 in 10 years. So um, it, it was. It was incredible. And that's kind of when we got on our roll, you know, mid to late May, early June. That's when we kind of started playing really good baseball and, and, and really forming that bond as a team. And Sammy, obviously, was a huge part of it. Did you – think that anything quote-unquote funny was going on that this might be an enhanced performance you know I really didn't think about it back then I really didn't um you know it, it came to play a few years later I guess but uh baseball had been down you know we had the strike and yeah. uh baseball uh, the fans weren't coming back like we thought they would and then all of a sudden this home run thing starts taking place and now all the fans start coming back they're showing interest and that's really what I cared about was uh, winning baseball games and, and playing in front of big crowds and things like that. So for me personally, I didn't even really think about that. Yeah. What was, 
he like in the clubhouse? Because I know over time, like when he finally left in 04, he did not leave on good terms and he still hasn't been invited back to the club, which is a whole nother topic. But yeah. what was it like in, in 98 with the team? Well, I was with Sammy for two years, 98, 99. Yeah. He was a pleasure. He was a great teammate, and I've never seen anybody enjoy playing the game like he did. I mean, he just loved to play the game. You know how he'd run out to right field and salute all the fans, and you know, in the bleachers, and um, always had a smile on his face, always laughing and enjoying himself. And uh, I thought he was a great teammate for two years. I really did. See, I love hearing that because to me, and I, I hear both sides. Like when Kerry talks about him, he'll be like that dude came to play every single day. And I just, we just had last week uh, on the podcast, I talked to Jeff Pentland, who was your hitting coach. He came over midway through 97 and stayed through 02. So you had him both years. And he was talking how he would flip to Sammy 40 minutes. Like the guy was a worker. And I, I think people look at him like, you know, all the, this stuff and blown to the camera, but people don't realize how much he actually put into his craft. He did. He, he worked at his hitting daily. I mean, he, he was the first one in that cage. And like, like you just said, he was in there for quite a while until he felt good, until he felt comfortable. He would stay in that cage. And, yeah, he worked really hard. Now, I wish Sammy would have worked a little bit harder on his defense at that time. Because, yeah. you know, when he first came up, he had a cannon for an arm. And he was a pretty good defensive right fielder. And he kind of let that go a little bit. Because he was such a good hitter, he concentrated on his hitting mainly. Um, he kind of lost his arm strength and some of his defensive ability. I wish he'd have concentrated a little more on that too. But, um, yeah, he, 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 he was a very hard worker as far as uh, hitting is concerned. So that's interesting that you say that because I always thought that the defensive part was because he was bulking up and he didn't have the flexibility to throw like he once did. But you're also throwing out there that he was – it was a little – he had such a focus on – at the, at the plate, that maybe that was also part of it. Yeah, I don't think he threw as much, you know, yeah. during that time. And, and to, con to maintain a strong arm, you got to continue to throw long toss and things like that and work on your arm strength. And I don't think he really worked on that uh, at that time of his career. But uh, the hitting part, like I said, yeah, he busted his butt. Yeah. So what was the relationship like from your perspective with him and Mark? Um... At times, I thought it was pretty good. At times, I think they kind of tolerated each other. Yeah. Because um, Sammy was kind of loud at times, you know, and, and Gracie was a little more laid back. And, uh, uh, you know, Gracie took the game really seriously, and Sammy had a little bit more fun with it, I think. And at times, they butted head a little bit. But, uh, uh, you know, I played with Sammy in his two best years. So when you're hitting 60-some homers for two straight years, or what was it, 66 and 62 or whatever he hit, <laughs> um, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to not be happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and in 98, we were winning and everything was clicking. So I never saw Sammy um, when he wasn't playing well or had a bad month. I mean, he, for the two years I was with him, he was pretty much as good as you can be. So I want to go back to – the clubhouse itself. So I'm 25 years old. It's my first time covering a baseball team. And, and just on the home side, I was a radio guy, so I wasn't traveling with you all. But I would go in that clubhouse after a game, and you would have Grace and Rod Beck, uh, RIP, great man, uh, Matt Karchner, Blouser. These, these guys were 
I mean, like the bar was open. It was, it was a different culture than, you know, later in your career. And I mean, you came up with the Phillies. So, you know, that team had a lot of fun too. Um, I don't remember you being, I, I, my, my memory of Mickey Mordi in that time is you were pretty focused on, on playing and maybe not hanging out like those guys did, but there was an old schoolness to that team that you wouldn't see today. I mean, what, what, what are your, how would you compare that clubhouse to say the 93 team and, or, the, or your Phillies experience period? I think that team was as close as uh, we could get to the 93 team. I mean, in 93, there were a lot of veterans on that team, but after games, we would all go into the, the training room, eat, ice up, whatever we had to do, but we would sit around and talk baseball. Yeah. We'd talk about the game we just had. We'd talk about the game that's coming up tomorrow, good things, bad things. It was, it was a routine that we really did. There was probably 10 to 15 players in that training room after the game, just hanging out, talking baseball. And that was similar to what we did with the Cubs. Um, and like you said, with all the veterans that we had on there, um, we had fun at, at that year, but we were very focused. And, and we had a good mixture of veteran players and young players like Kerry coming up and Kevin Ory was young at the time. And, um, you know, there were a couple other young players uh, that we had in the bullpen. Grant Brown was a young yeah. player then, but uh, – uh, it was a really good mix, and, and it was it, we had fun, but when we had to uh, focus for the game, we definitely did that. couple of specific moments. So you brought up Kevin Ory in the 20-strikeout game, little little number uh, to his left. Not a, a you know, tough play, but maybe a play that he should have made. I know he beat himself up about it. Is that E5? Should that 20-strikeout 20, 20 game be a, be a no-hitter? Well, and you look back on it um, – you know, if, I, if I'm watching the play before I know what happens, that's a really tough play, and it took a weird kind of hop. It kind of stayed down on him. Um, so I'm going to say no. It probably wasn't an error. Was it a play that could have been made? Sure. Um, but that, I don't think that really takes away anything from what Kerry Wood did that day. That was the best stuff I've ever seen one pitcher have on a particular day. It was unbelievable. Did you – no, in spring training, not that he was capable of that, but did you know that this guy's got, if he stays healthy, is going to dominate? I knew he had incredible stuff. The issue was him, with him back then was his command. At times, he really lost it and couldn't throw strikes. But on that particular day, he was, he was electric with his fastball and he was throwing strikes with it. And that breaking ball was the best breaking ball I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, it was breaking 8 to 10 feet. And he made that Houston Astros lineup, which was really good. I mean, they had some really good hitters in that lineup. Look, looked just silly. Yeah, it was – I mean, still watching the highlights of it, it's like, oh, my God, this guy yeah. is – I mean, Biggio, Bagwell, Derek Bell. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, was, that was a club. So, you get in the playoffs, and game two, Tappany pitches a gem. I think he gives up a homer to Javi Lopez in the ninth, right, with one out, I want to say. And then in the yeah. 10th, in the 10th, you get on, you steal second, and they call you out. You were safe, right? Yeah, I was. Um, that's the one time I think I wanted replay because I'm not a big replay guy. Um, but, yeah, I got, I got in there, and they called me out. and um, That was a, obviously a big game. I mean, Tap pitches his butt off. We have a chance to even – I think it was even the series, right? Yep. Go one, one. And there's a huge difference there. One, one, two, oh. I think we were coming home then. Um, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, there's a lot of things I can look back on and, and wish they were a little bit different. But, um, you know, we, we had a chance to win a couple games and we didn't do it. What do, what do you remember about the wild card game against the, uh, the Giants? 
I, I remember how electric that ballpark was. That's for sure. I mean, it was, that's about, other than uh, the 93 Phillies playoff, and we were playing in front of 50,000 fans at that stadium. Other than that, that was one of the loudest crowds I've ever been a part of. And uh, the guy, Eddie, home run, the place just blew up. I mean, it just blew up. And uh, it was a great game, you know, well, well pitched, uh, great defense, not a lot of hitting. And um, it was just a relief. Uh, to get into the playoffs. I know that the city had been suffering for a long time. What was it, 80, 84? Was that the last time they had gotten in? So they, they, yeah, 89. They, they got 89. in in 89. Yeah, lost in five. And, um, yeah. they, they backed us all year. And, you know, the things leading up to it was Sammy's incredible uh, home run race there. And, you know, the Brant Brown drop in left field that <laughs> almost cost us a spot. And, uh, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was really exciting. And and other than the '93 season for me, I really I I had never been in like a playoff run like that. So it was it was kind of new to me. It was really exciting. So since you brought up Brand Brown, one of my favorite people in in baseball history was Ron Sano. I don't know how well you got to know him that year, and, yeah. and Ron, Ronnie's passed away now for a while. But you lose. You're up. I I think you were up three in the ninth. And and the Brewers score four, yeah. and Brown drops the ball. I was I was at that game, and my friend's jumping up and down because he thinks it's over. And I'm looking, I'm like, he dropped it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they lost. Yeah. Um, but so we, you know, I, I go. I, I I guess the story is that Sano was in Riggleman's office with his head down. And just like like the the season was over, and the manager is telling the broadcaster and the former player that don't don't worry, Ronnie, we'll we'll we'll, we'll come back and get him. I, do you remember that at all? Or I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it sounds familiar. I don't remember that, but I'm sure it's true because we know Ronnie was the biggest Cubs fan out there. I loved Ronnie. I, we did have a nice little relationship there for a couple of years. I, I loved Ronnie and. Uh, I remember his call on that too. I think he screamed, "Oh no, no!" And uh, it was it was a tough loss. I mean, I, I think there were maybe a handful of games left, and um, you know, it, it it almost cost us. But luckily for Brant, and Brant, like you said, he's a great guy. He was a fun teammate to have and a good dude. And uh, luckily, it didn't come back to haunt us. Great talent too. He could hit bombs. You know, play a bunch of outfield spots. Yeah. Um, career could have lasted a little bit longer what do you remember about you lose on the final day to the Astros and you're walking off the field and you need help now and Nephi Perez and the Rockies came through to you but there had to be a moment there where you're like the season's over this sucks there was and and in uh in in Houston um it was a long walk at the we were at the dome I believe right it was yep. the dome there was a very long walk from the the dugout to the clubhouse so we lose that game, and we look at the scoreboard, and I think it was tied in Colorado, Colorado and the Giants were tied. Um, and um, we're all dejected as we're walking up to the uh, clubhouse. And as soon as we got into the clubhouse, Nephi Perez hits the home run, and we're saved, and we, we live another day. And it went from complete, uh, you know, we're done, we're out of it, it sucks, to, yeah, you know, we're, we're still in it. We got a chance to get back to the playoffs. So it was – just like that, it was a different emotion. Yeah. So long gone summers. This uh, coming up this Sunday night here, and if you're listening to it afterwards, well, then maybe you saw the documentary. But so, what are you? You you're in St. Louis. Traxel's on the mound. McGuire's going for 62. He takes him out. Barely gets over the wall, but 
you know, he's, as he's rounding the bases, you know, watching the highlights, he shakes Grace's hand, he shakes your hand. I mean, that's kind of a weird moment. You're competing, you're, you're in a playoff chase, but yet you want to honor the guy. It was a weird moment. I look back on it and I'm like, why are you shaking his hand? You know, it's two teams that don't like each other, and he just hit a home run off you. And I know Traxel didn't like that. I remember that. He wasn't real happy with us. But, you know, I saw Gracie do it, and I'm like, you know, this is such a monumental moment. Um, you know, give him a little knucks or something. So I did, and I think – I don't know who was at short. Uh, uh, I think it was Jose Hernandez. And then I know Scott Service did something to him at home. It, it was such a monumental moment that he had to do something for it. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty exciting. And uh, having the, the, usual, or the uh, Maris family there. And, um, and then after, after they hit the home run, Sammy came in and they, you know, had a big uh, thing. And it, it was exciting. It was, that month was just out of control with the way they were just going back and forth with home runs until maybe the last – maybe the last week or so, and then McGuire kind of, you know, took off and Sammy cooled off. But, you know, McGuire hit one, Sammy hit one. Sammy hit one, McGuire hit one. It just went back and forth. It was incredible. Yeah, I, I, watched, uh, I, I watched the doc, and I, I had forgotten. Sammy went ahead of him. He was up 66 to 65. McGuire hit the last five, and, yeah. you know, you guys were playing Houston, and they're, they're playing the Expo, so that obviously f- favored Mark in the pitching yeah. matchup. But he, he had the lead. I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing. It was, and, uh, you know, I, I look back, I mean, and we've already talked about 20 homers in a month and nine multi-homer games, and, um, and he hit some big homers for us. It wasn't like he wasn't hitting big homers for us. Um, he hit some really big homers for us that, that won ball games for us or, or tied ball games for us, and uh, uh, just one of those years where he put everything together and, and was enjoying the game. What was it like playing with Riggleman? I like Jim as a manager. Um, he was a he was a strategic guy. You know, he he lefty on lefty, righty on righty, pinch hit for this guy, pinch hit for that guy, double switched a lot. Um, he did a lot of things by the book. But um, um, I love playing for him. You know, you go out, play the game the right way. He has no problem with you. And um, you know, fortunate enough for me, it was a career year for me. I had career highs in like six different categories that year, and um, I attribute it to hitting in front of Sammy and Gracie because I saw a lot of fastballs. Guys wanted to challenge me so they wouldn't have to face those guys with guys on base. And um, I kind of put everything together that year. And um, defensively, I probably had my – I was always good defensively, but I had my best defensive year that year. I think I, my fielding percentage was like 992 or something. And um, I loved playing in Wrigley. I really did. Just, just the grass field and the atmosphere and – like I said, day games, it was just a lot of fun. So how would you describe it to the recreational softball player that you're talking to right now who just always, you know, if I could pick one thing in life that I would want to do would be a professional athlete in whatever, and literally in any sport. I, I love playing ba- baseball, but basketball, tennis, whatever. Like, what, like running out on that field and, and being in that spot, like how would you, what, how would you describe it? Whew, that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, exhilarating um exciting um those really are two words that i can do it was just it was a lot of fun it was like i was a little kid you know just running out on the field like i was playing in a little league game and you know i had all my friends and family watching me play a little league game um you know and i always got to watch sammy go out because he 
you know, fly by me as I was going to second base and to see the right field crowd standing and screaming and him, you know, saluting them. And um, it was just like you were playing a kid's game. It really was. But, but you also like have to throw in there, there's the pressure to perform. So I feel like a lot of guys, I mean, it's got to be sweet, but then, you know, hey, if I don't, if I don't play well, then I'm not going to be here and then I'm going to lose out on the experience and the dough. It's a, it's a lot on you. It is, and I always put a lot of pressure on myself, but um, I, I, for one, did not like to lose. I was a sore loser. Um, no matter what I did, and my wife will attribute that, that even when I played my kids and like when they were young and little board games, I'd have to beat them because that's just my mentality. I do not like to lose, and um, I put a lot of pressure on myself, and just for me that year, everything clicked. I got into a good routine at the plate. I saw the ball good for most of the year. I put the ball in play. Um, I had a career high in walks, which means I was seeing the ball really good. I had a career high in home runs. I hit eight yeah. that year. Now, eight home runs for me was a lot. I think my career high before that was three. Um, and uh, I just, you know, when you play with good players, it elevates your game. And for me to be out on the field with Gracie and Sammy and uh, Lance Johnson and yeah. Blouser and that crew, and then you see Tappany on the mound and Kerry Wood on the mound and Traxel and Mark Clark and that group, uh, it really just elevated my game because I didn't want to be the one that wasn't playing well. And it worked out for me that year. Do you know what place you finished in the MVP voting that year? 24th. Yeah. I got one vote from a Chicago writer. I forget who it was. <laughs> I, I was, you know, I'm looking through your stats. I'm like, Mickey finished 24th in the MVP voting. That's, I mean, you got to, come on. Yeah, I, uh, I'm proud of that. I mean, I, I did. I had a great year that year. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm not bragging, but I was a big part of why we went to the playoffs. And I know you, Sammy, Sammy, was, Sammy and Gracie were the two of the heads of that team, but I played really, really well, and uh, I'm proud of that. You should be, and I, I'll underline that again for you because the Cubs had not had somebody in the top of the lineup who could set be in that quote-unquote two role and or a leadoff guy for a long, long time. Really, I mean, I guess you go back to 89, and, and Jerome Walton had a great year, at least a good first half of the year. I think he had a 30-game hitting streak, but – and then if you go forward, like, to the 03 team that got back in, well, that team took off once uh, Kenny Lofton came over right. and, and was able to fulfill that role. And you look at the 16-Cub team, and this is not just about the Cubs, it's about everything, but that team, ben and 15, they benefited greatly with having Dexter Fowler at the top. Right. And so that goes into a bigger baseball discussion, like, you know, well, you don't need the prototypical leadoff hitter. It's like, oh, hold on a second, man, like, Getting guys at the top of the order that can get on for three and four and five, to me, that's always a huge thing. I think so. And, and Lance Johnson was just as good. I mean, he was a different type of leadoff hitter because he was pretty much a free swinger. He didn't walk yeah. a lot, um, but he could hit. He was fast. Um, and then, you know, I'm in the two-hole, left-handed hitter. I can use the hole. I can bunt. I can hit and run. And, uh, you know, a lot of the reasons – I think Sammy had 150-some RBIs that year. Right? Yeah wasn't because of, he had 150 home runs you know what I mean I mean he was yeah. driving me and the Lance in a lot and um we were the table setters and you know you have me and Lance on first and second now you got to face Grace Sammy or Sammy Grace and Henry Rodriguez you're in trouble yeah 
Yeah. And Henry had a great year too. I think he had almost 30 home runs too. And yeah, we had they were. Allen Hill, who was, you know, hitting 500 foot bombs. I mean, that lineup was really pretty good. Do you, was that the year that he put it on the roof? Was that 98 or was that maybe a year before? I think it was 98. I think I remember that. That was just silly. <laughs> it was stupid, stupid yeah. power. He just crushed it. He was a big boy. Oh my God. Big boy. Yeah. So you guys go to the world series in 93 and then, uh, 94 comes the strike. Uh, I, so you experience, and I, I guess you weren't really robbed of anything that year, but, but still you're, you're, you're playing when the world series doesn't happen. And I'm just curious, you know, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now? The players and owners can't get together here. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People want to see baseball. It's an opportunity for baseball. So I don't know from your perspective, is it just painful to watch or what would you say? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty much the way every other negotiation has gone. They start out far apart. They, they have war of words. You know, they, they're after each other. And then as it gets closer to crunch time and they got to get something done, oh, and all of a sudden now we're going to find a, a part in the middle here. We're going to start discussing it. I think they'll get it done. I think they're smart enough to know that they cannot not play a season this year. So they'll get it done and it, 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 it better be soon. That's all. And then they did, they missed the boat on being the first pro team to get out there and get, get live, you know, get on live television because people are craving for baseball right now. And I think we need it. Um, but they kind of missed the boat on that. But uh, I'm, I think uh, by maybe the end of this weekend, Hopefully it's close to getting done. Yeah, f- fingers crossed. Uh, let, let, me, let me rewind one more time back to that 93 Phillies team. And, I mean, Mitch Williams was a, was, was a Cub for a second, too. And uh, you, you guys were right there. And, th- and then I guess Lenny's been in the news just a ton. I mean, what do you remember playing with him? You know, a good, uh, some good and a lot of bad there as, right. as far as keeping himself together. But I mean, that's, that's one of the craziest groups in baseball, at least somewhat recent history. Yeah, I mean, that was an unbelievable team, and we had great leadership in Darren Dalton. He was one of the best leaders i ever seen in the clubhouse. But Lenny Lenny was just so focused that year. Um, he usually hit first, and I'd hit second. And he, we would be on the, you know, uh, on the uh, on-deck circle, getting ready to start the game. He'd go, I'm going to work this count to 3-2, and I'm going to take this guy deep. He'd tell me that, and, and I'm not lying. He'd go out and he'd do that. That's how focused he was. And um, He should have won the MVP that year. He had unbelievable numbers. Um, that's, that's probably the most focused I've ever seen a player. He, it's interesting hearing you say that. He's, he's underrated historically. That guy was incredible. When, 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 that, when he was going right – incredibly tough out incredibly tough competitor all of it and a great center fielder too yeah he, he needs need to stay healthy he was always yeah. banged up he always because he played the game so hard you know head first diving diving in the outfield all kind of stuff and uh injuries really really shortened his career but 93 he stayed healthy and uh he just put up some incredible numbers yeah are, are you missing the game right now what, what would you say about that I am missing the game. Um, I'm the Phillies team ambassador right now. Right. And, you know, I always got to go to all the home games and hang with fans and sponsors and watch the games and talk baseball and go out into the community and do a lot of stuff for the Phillies. And I'm missing all that. And um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm tired of watching games where I know the outcome. 
You know, I want I want something live here where I see how how the finish plays out. But I'm missing baseball, and um, hopefully by the end of this month, uh, we'll have it back. I hope. Yeah. Let's wrap up with this. If you had a Hall of Fame vote, Mickey, would you vote for Barry and Roger and and Sammy or or no? Yes. You would. I would. So, Barry Bonds is the best player I've ever seen play in my time. Um, just the things he did on the field were incredible. Um, Sammy put, you know, they say you should make the Hall of Fame if you've changed your era somehow. You know, you had an impact. And Sammy had one of the biggest impacts in the 90s of anybody. Um, and uh, 500 home runs, right? Um, just unbelievable. And... Another one is Roger Clemens. I mean, he wins seven Cy Youngs and 300 wins, and these guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. I mean, there's just that other whole side of it, like the, you know, obviously the they cheated, I did it right side that's in the Hall. I mean, Frank Thomas speaks to that all the time. And, and people, it seems like there's a movement that way. But, like, what would you say to the, like the, the quote-unquote old-school guys who, like, no chance? Well, you know <laughs> – I, I don't know what to say to them because they have the point. And I, you know, to an extent, I agree with them because I did it right. You know, yeah. I, I, I did it right. And I think I got, uh, you know, I should have had a couple gold gloves that I didn't win. Um, is it because of the steroids? I don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe some of the other guys that won them did it. I don't know. And, but uh, I, just, I just know what talent they were with or without steroids. Those, those three, just that we were talking about, were unbelievable talents. They changed the game. Uh, they have records across the board. Um, I just think they deserve to be in. If you want to put an asterisk by it or you want to, you know, say that, you know, it's possible that these guys have cheated or something, that's fine. But I think they deserve to be in. Yeah, that, that's what I think. I don't forget about the Astros. I just think on their on their plaque, and maybe they'll, they'll bother some of them. But like, was you know played, and those who admitted, like if, if McGuire would ever get in, that's a that's a different guy. But right. played in played in the era, admitted to, and right. then you know, I mean, that would be the same thing for a Rod. You know, um, I mean, are we a hundred percent sure that some of the guys that are in didn't do it? We're not. We're not right. Yeah, there we're not. Guys in there that did do it, so. I guess it is what it is. We'll see. I know they only have a few more years of votes, right? Bonds and Clemens and those guys. So it, Yeah, I think they're about halfway through, yeah. I'm so. sure the Veterans Committee probably won't put them in. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, uh, it's a fair, that's a fair bet right there. Hey, Mickey, great to see you. I really appreciate you doing this. It was awesome to talk to you. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Uh we got it. I hope we got it all. I'm sure we do. Dude, you were great. I really – thanks a lot. No problem. Yeah, and uh, have you, I'm taking you haven't seen the doc. No, isn't it supposed to be on this? Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.